Welcome to the Inside Events Podcast, brought to you by SwapCard. There's no better time to have exclusive conversations with the industry professionals who are reshaping the events industry. We're bringing you inside knowledge from industry leaders. Let's get started with your host, Megan Powers. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode six of the Inside Events Podcast by SwapCard. We have two great guests today. I co-host to chat news with me and then wonderful event technology guest. I am Megan Powers, your host. I'm with Powers of Marketing. We provide strategic marketing consultation and execution for small to medium-sized businesses, primarily in the meetings and event industry. And I love event technology, of course. You can find us on Twitter at The Event Profs if you'd like to share any feedback or um, ask to be a guest, that's a good avenue. Our guest today is Adam Perry with Event Industry News. He's coming off his recent conference, and so um, it'll be great to talk with him about that. And my co-host to Chat News is Brian Fanzo. How are you, Brian? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me. Of course. Brian and I have known each other for, for a little while. I uh, used to interact with this little tool called Blab that was the innovative first live streaming. You can chat with other people all at once and people could pop in and out of your broadcast. They decided sadly to shut it down. Rest in peace. Rest in peace, no doubt. Um, so, but, uh, but yeah, Brian, Brian was steadfast in there. Like I knew if I, and especially I was talking about events or technology that he was in there. So he's the perfect co-host today to talk with Adam. So I'm going to read his bio um, as, brief, as brief as I can make it. He is a pager-wearing millennial keynote speaker. Brian inspires, motivates, and educates businesses on how to leverage emerging technologies and digital marketing to stand out from the noise and engage with customers of all ages. He does have a pretty diverse background. He actually worked for the Department of Defense and Cybersecurity and as a technology evangelist at a cloud computing startup. He's now the founder of iSocialFans, which has helped launch digital and influencer strategies with the world's most iconic brands like Dell, EMC, Adobe, IBM, UFC, Applebee's, and SAP. Uh, you'll, you'll hear his, his mantra is, think like a fan and press the damn button. Is, uh, and I'm going to give you a chance to explain um, what that means here um, in a second. Yeah, so basically, if you're looking for a speaker uh, to talk about anything about digital empathy, about leadership, about tech, he's your guy. So I, on that front, you've, you just, you, you've traveled 400,000 miles this year. Whoa. Um, what is the best conference that you attended this year as either a speaker or an attendee? Ooh, yeah. The 400,000 miles is definitely not bragging. I, they sent me like the email uh, like in June and they're like, you've, you've now you know, traveled as many miles as you did the year before. And I was like, it's June. Like, wait a minute. What do you mean? I have a whole half a year left to go. Um, but yeah, it's been an exciting year. I, uh, a little over uh, a total of 64 events. So I'm actually done for the, for the 2019 year, which uh, I have bigger goals for next year. So more miles will come next year. Uh, I've gone to, a, you know, I get to part of the nice thing with my topics, uh, talking everything from digital empathy to generations to marketing. I get to talk at a wide range of events uh, for all different industries. Uh, so I, you know, I've done some really cool ones in the travel space, uh, done some influencer ones, some big brands, some small brands. Uh, I would say probably, you know, my favorite one uh, was in Montenegro, uh, which was 
funny when I got the gig I had to google where it was I assumed it was in <laughs> South America it was not it's over by Italy it's old uh, Yugoslavia and uh, I went to an event it was an entrepreneur event called spark.me uh, but really you know fun events uh, the the local environment got behind it so they had uh, like the the mayor and local uh, in you know places kind of really sponsoring it it was uh, really just a fun event, a country that I didn't really know where it was, uh, and I quickly fell in love with, and hopefully we'll be back again uh, next year. They had all kinds of speakers. It was funny. A lot of speaker friends from the U.S. were there, so it was, we traveled halfway around the world to hang out with <laughs> people that are here in the United States, uh, but that was, that was probably my favorite event uh, of the year for sure. Do you know how they found you? Uh, I do. And it was, uh, it was actually my podcast. So um, my podcast, they had, they had, I guess had taken recommendations um, from a couple different uh, people and they turned it tuned into FOMO fans, which is my, uh, my marketing podcast and reached out and it was a really last minute uh, gig too. And it was funny. They, uh, they ended up getting my girlfriend a ticket to come over with me, which allowed me to be like, I can pull the trigger in four weeks. And and I'm really glad I I made that happen. Amazing. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm, going to do a day trip to Montenegro uh, from Croatia in June. So so worth it. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah climb yeah. the castle. Climb the castle is well worth it. Will do. Okay. So we're going to talk a little bit of news. Uh, event, the meeting and event industry conference season is sort of winding down right now. Expo Expo is going on. Um, for those of you who, who don't know, that is the largest trade show and exposition for trade show and expo people <laughs> um, the, the like like a lot of our associations it's an association for the association um that's why they named it twice expo yeah expo. exactly <laughs> so nice they named it twice all right um but and then in the last month there's been uh there have been um a few events the event tech live show which we'll talk about with adam um and ibtm world which happens in barcelona is a very large uh, trade show and expo in Barcelona held every fall, um, November, December timeframe. And I got the chance to go two years in a row uh, as an exhibitor in the innovation zone, which was incredible. And so I, I came across this uh, MPI news brief that did a, a roundup of IBTM world. And there were some actually really good links to articles. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, lots of really like it's totally down a rabbit hole kind of a situation. I kept stumbling on all these great articles. Um, so we're just going to talk about a, a couple of them. But but one thing I think that the crux of the IBTM World Roundup article is that there's tons of growth in the meetings and events industry. A lot of, of destinations that had never exhibited there before were there. And there was talk of a lot of different um, conferences and expos that are happening um, the article said the virtual experience economy is set for big growth, according to the 2019 Trends Watch report that was pre presented there, which is an interesting thing, too, because you know, virtual experience is different than in-person. But the thing that stuck out to me the most, Brian, and I don't know if you watched this video or not, but the Expo 2020 Dubai um, is set to welcome more than 25 million visitors over a period of six months. Ooh. And they showed a drone video, and I'll, again, I'll include that in the in the show notes. But um, of all of the construction going on, and it's amazing. It, of course, it made me think. First, it made me think they're positioning themselves for an Olympics. Is kind of like they tried for 2024 in Paris one, but also it kind of reminded me of like a World's Fair, which they don't happen anymore. Yeah, and, and you know, like 
Philadelphia, Seattle, San Diego, all of these, all of like the best places that people visit in, in cities or, or exist because that city hosted a world's fair. Um, what, what's your take on uh, the growth of, of, you know, more and more events coming on board and in a time when, when virtual is a thing, right? When we can, when we don't have to be there, what, what's your kind of, what's your take on all that? You know, I think, you know, with the, the more connected we get, the more screen time we get. I think our desire to be more connected in person also increases, right? The idea for me, I always like to translate in the sense of going to an event meant you were meeting a lot of strangers. And now that we're more connected, thanks to social media, technology, our iPhone, we, we want to go there to meet not only the strangers, but all these people that we've, we've all of a sudden been connected with. And I think it, it opens up, you know, almost an introverted world where the introvert said, I'm not going to travel. I'm looking for that virtual experience to have it in my house. I also think they're kind of driving the need to go offline. I think, I think the more we have our, we're connected via our, our devices, the more we desire that offline. I, you know, for, I managed a really large team of uh, 32 employees that were all remote when I worked for the US government. And one of the things I found was as soon as I let everybody work from home, everybody desired a quarterly meeting in person, right? It was like, and it was, they were very rich in, in value. We, I felt like we were really, um, we bonded, and, you know, created a great culture. And I think that's happening across the board. I think we're seeing that. I also think uh, this, you know, this idea where we can be inspired by anyone and anything, you know, we can watch a YouTube video. These are all great things, but I think there's also this idea that says, how do we be inspired with our peers and then also network with them at the same time, right? I think this connecting what we see on stage um, with that offline world or with that, you know, let's say the experience um, in the networking world, I think is exciting. I think it's, uh, for me as a speaker, especially, I think the more we look at this and say, it's not just because you can watch me on YouTube and you can see me talk, right? But the idea that you can watch me on stage, you can engage with me at the event, after the event, in the hallways, but then also the people that you've connected with online, like like the two of us, right? We go to an event and we're literally hanging out the entire time in a way that is really, I'd say, richer because we are connected year round rather than the old days of we see each other once a year and half the time we're catching up on what's new, what's going on. In this case, I mean, even when we started the show, you're like, hey, I saw you moved. How you like the new house? Right. That that idea that we're we already have that rich connection with people, I think, is increasing our desire to spend money to go travel to these events, which I think is exciting. No, for sure. And um, so a couple of things. I, I think that I, I think I heard you say that in a previous show, I might have been my other podcast that you were on, um, that it's actually the millennial generation that's that's sort of driving this. For sure. That, that's that's your take. Yeah. And I think it's all you know, I think it's one of those things where, you know, it's we want to connect with the people that are like us. Right. I think it's we're you know, the old school. And I, I always say you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh. The only people I knew were people in Pittsburgh. Right. And today, growing up, my daughters know people around the world. And even my nine year old has Skyped with uh, a friend of mine that's in Australia. And I think that ability for us to find our tribe worldwide is exciting, but it also opens up a new opportunity as that connected generation, the millennials, especially where they're saying, you know, and we've, I've used this stat all the time on stage and it's from an Eventbrite, you know, three out of four millennials would rather spend money on an experience than something they desire or need, right? Like, and, and that is the driving force right there is, and I, I'm guilty of that. I would much rather, rather than buying a new car, 
I would rather spend my money to travel to two more events each year to connect with people and have that in-person experience, which um, I think, you know, is, is beautiful for the event space. For sure. Actually, I had someone recently say to me, oh, well, the new flat screens, they're so, they're so expensive. You could buy a new one. It's all, they're only like 800 bucks. I go, oh, that's a trip to Europe. <laughs> I'd rather, I'd rather spend that on a plane ticket when my TV works perfectly fine. Like, I, you know, I can watch, I can watch the live Hulu on a small screen. I'm okay with that. <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, one article that was a spinoff of that roundup was a article from PCMA and the title was panels, not mantles, which I think is brilliant. It's hilarious. And Beautiful. I think that I've, I've heard you um, advocate before for having more women speakers. So this show shop talk was highlighted in this, in this article. Um, it's a retail conference. They made news this month when they announced that uh, their March 2020 conference would feature an all-women speaker lineup, including both track sessions and main stage keynotes, which is the first of its kind. And, and then I dug a little bit deeper, and that the, they kind of were sparked to really push it that far by uh, an, an industry thought leader who, who said that they were, they were cutting edge. And they said, well, if we're cutting edge, then we're really going to do this. And they said, it's temporary. It's not going to happen at any time. And male speakers are helping them pick the panel. So what's your take on kind of on that, on the lack of, first of all, on this happening, which I think is super cool, but I want to know I love it. I love your it. perspective. I love, I love, yeah. I love seeing it happen. I love the, the need to kind of drive attention. I also like the idea that it's not something that's permanent. It's something that, Hey, we're going to drive the attention. I think you know, in today's day and age, there's no excuse not to have equality. I mean, if you tell me that you don't, you don't have a female speaker on that topic. It's because you're not willing to look. It's not because there's not a, a, a female speaker on that topic. I'm part of multiple masterminds um, with fellow speakers, and there's more females in my masterminds than there are male. And, um, and I think that's kind of something that's exciting as we kind of drive that forward. And, you know, for me, I've, I backed out of three events this year um, without really making any fanfare about it. But because I would have been the sixth or seventh male of an eight uh, keynote spot. Um, and, and for me, you know, I'm a dad of three girls, but even more so than that, when we're looking at understanding an audience and relating, and I talk a lot of, you know, I call, I say the future of marketing is relatability. And relatability comes through us being able to recognize the people that are on stages, the people that are, that are, are sharing voices. And I think we do need to get to a point where it's not, having females on panels to talk about female topics, right? That, that's kind of like the check the checkbox. I think that's the lazy way out. I think now it's about, hey, who's the, who are the best people? And you have to be willing to put it out there. We're seeing it in sports, you know, with uh, coaches and minorities. We're seeing it in a lot of these spaces. And I, and I like seeing, you know, events kind of taking a little bit, you know, flash forward for it. I, I was just part of an event called uh, Social Fresh. I'm actually wearing the t-shirt as we speak, uh, kind of funny to say, but it's the fourth year in a row that they're at like 65% of speakers on their stages are female. Um, I hosted two panels at that event. I was the only male on one of the, the panels and the other one had three females and an, an, another male. And I think part of it was, you know, they, they stopped making it a big deal because they've made it in a conceited effort to find the best people um, for the job. So I think it's definitely something we're going to see more of. I do think um, as a male speaker, it's just as much our job to recommend. Um, I, I actually know um, when I was, you know, as a speaker, we know speakers get speakers uh, gigs. That's kind of like the, the recipe. And I, I was even noticing a couple of years ago, it was probably three years ago, 
that on my list of speakers that I recommend, it was seven males and three females. And I, I felt that if, hey, if I'm going to be someone that wants to change this, I also have to change it. And on my current list of 10 people that I recommend, um, it's six females and four males at the moment. So, uh, and then I didn't, cons like, I remember being like, okay, I need to make sure I look for that. So I think it's exciting. I think it's exciting to understand the need for diversity. It's also um, something that we have to realize that once we kind of level that up, we also have to make sure people are included. I think in the event organizer space, if you don't have females on the, on the panel that are helping to, to decide the speakers, that's, a, that's also a problem, right? Getting females in the decision-making process will allow you to find more female speakers, right? It's not just putting females on stage, it's getting females involved, um, you know, and it's minorities as well, in the event development stage, the event tech, in the event organization. Um, you know, my, my speaker agent, uh, Michelle Joyce, uh, she's amazing. And one of the things she always tells me, um, well, she'll recommend different events for me to look into. And it's always interesting when she's like, well, this is a great event because they have a diverse group that are picking speakers. And as someone that's a millennial speaker with a wears a backwards hat and bright colored shoes, I also, I, I need someone that's willing to take a risk, someone that is um, willing to look things a little bit differently. And so if it's the old way and old people, I am almost guaranteeing that they're not gonna hire me anyhow. Right, right, right. Yeah, well, and I, uh, at IMEX this year, they, they uh, had a track dedicated to the women in the meetings industry. Um, but what I noticed, though, is that there were hardly any men in the room, which is like, that's a whole point is to show, is to not just single women out as, to single them out. It's uh, every human has a voice right. and we should all be heard. And this particular track was talking to this issue um, and in different ways and but it's interesting too, because I had a, a friend there who um, she's African American, and she said, "Great, cool," but no one looked like me. Mm. So then, the, the next level is also having more people of color, just picking the people who are easy because you play golf with them, or you know, whatever whatever the case may be, because you're tight, you go to the same church or whatever, isn't good enough. You need to you need to expand it. But I also I just all that to say, I wish there were more men in the room, so that then men are understanding the perspective. Um, and, yeah, and I think, I think that's, that also comes into like the naming of the sessions and the tracks, right? Like, uh, and I've, I've found myself guilty where it's the women's, women's leadership lunch. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to that. I, how would that impact me? And ultimately, if the name of it was the leadership luncheon hosted by these four females, I would have been there in a heartbeat, right? I think, you know, a lot of that comes into our labeling, our marketing of it. Um, I also think that's important because it's not only getting the right males in the in the room, but it's you know the people that are driving the the differences there. We have to make sure our voice is heard. Um, you know, I, I like I said, I backed out from a couple of events this year, um, and two of them were really nice paid events. But I was I was worried that um, making a big deal of it was going to draw attention to me, and people were were thinking like, oh, Brian's backing out because he wants the you know the females to be like cheering him on. And I think that's a, that's an interesting balance we have to kind of play where. You know, we have to take a stand. We have to be a part of the change. But we also don't need to be doing it just for, to like, hey, we're, we're the cool kids that are doing it. And it's, it is a balance, but I think we're moving in the right direction. I, I was very surprised this year. Um, there was a couple events that had 
you know, a whole bunch of white guys. I'm a white guy. So I, you know, uh, on the stage, but I also knew a couple of those events worked really hard at interviewing a couple other females for it and they just weren't the right fit. And so I think that that's one of those things too, like bashing a manal, but without realizing that they have done some research is, is something we have to think of. But uh, let's face it, if you're, if you're not finding someone or at least a couple people to make a decision between, I just don't believe you're looking hard enough. No, for sure. For sure. So I think this, I think that, I think it's great. I think that, um, uh, and it's, I mean, I'd like to go, I, but I, I work in retail, but I want to, I want to go just to see what it's about. Okay. So our next article and our third and final news deal that we're going to talk about um, was in BizBash and it was five new digital tool, tools for events. And they aren't kind kind of aren't all new, but they're interesting things to talk about. So I just, um, and it said the next phase of event software goes beyond making dumb devices like handhelds, wearables, signs, and kiosks smart. The newest event tech focuses on empowering attendees through interactivity and experience activation with developers using software to deliver something more meaningful to users. And then it says, here's the latest products um, designed for meetings and conferences. And I, just, I picked a couple. So um, the first was the Summit and again, I'll include these in the show notes. Summit Technology Laboratory debuted its interactive digital backdrop. It's a hardware agnostic solution for projection mapping. And as somebody who's to sell audiovisual production, having a standalone projection mapping capability, I know it's just like, it's bananas. It's right. super, it's super cool. Um, it says uh, projection mapping digital content onto any stationary or moving object, such as shoes, clothing, walls, buildings, or a waving flag. This affordable responsive backdrop is geared towards small and medium-sized exhibitors. So badass, you can have it in your, in your booth or on your stand if you're uh, uh, in Europe. Uh, the software blends images from multiple off-the-shelf cameras and projectors, delivers a full range of colors, blah, blah, blah. So, and it basically, it gives you different options for attendee engagement. So this is the kind of thing that are, I mean, obviously you have to have a good product that you're selling, but in terms of drawing people into your, into your space to hear what you have to say, I think this is huge. Yeah, I agree. And I like the idea that, you know, every time I hear the word interactivity in an event, it kind of gives me a little bit of like the heebie-jeebies, like I, cause I, cause like interactivity requires participation, right? And it not only requires participation, but an education of the user. And when, when you, I think the neat thing about this being the fact that you can project something on someone's shoes, getting them, you know, all of a sudden, and I'm a shoe guy, I'm a, I'm a sneaker head, uh, you know, projecting something on my shoes to get me to stop, to look up and now you it's now you've cut you've you've caught my attention now it's your job to maintain it and bring me in i think that's exciting i think those kind of things are, are things that you know it's not just having a drone and then you're pitching me some random thing you know it's how do i connect these dots and so i think that's exciting i think it's uh it's it's cool seeing that kind of software i also like the idea that attendees can project stuff as well because that's where that interactivity can you know truly exist yeah and i think this is for event marketing um, or uh, experiential marketing summit should have these guys at it because I mean, I, I attended that with world stage at they're a, a technology provider. They're not a production company, but they, they have an innovation lab. They do all sorts of like, they have people just dedicated to figuring out how to make stuff work. Um, and uh, they have the, they have an led floor and wall that, that works together. Nice. And they had a, we had an iPad so you could pick which one you wanted and people, we didn't think about it as being a photo op, but people, people, everyone came 
if everyone stopped and it didn't matter, we were in the back. We thought we were in the front because of where the doors were, but we were in the back, but we had so much traffic. Um, and they got a lot of really great leads out of that show. So, I mean, so long as you can, once you've captured them, um, do the right thing and then follow up, which is the biggest, the biggest issue that exhibitors have is actually not following up on the, on the leads that they get. Um, I think that's, that's pretty badass. Here's the other thing. So I think, and I don't know, Brian, if you had the chance to dig deep enough into it, but this caught my eye because I thought it was something you'd really like. So there's a company called Affinio based in Halifax, Nova Scotia. They're using artificial intelligence to analyze Twitter and Reddit feeds, um, but it can also um, ingest first party data like a registration list for an event um, associated with a specific handle or hashtag. It looks at all of the connections audience members share finds commonalities and groups them into meaningful segments based on those interests. Um, so it says this allows event organizers to program and design events and even make menu selections based on what participants care about, what they read, share, follow, retweet, and post. Tracking emojis, links, GIFs, memes, comments, and bio keywords can help drive marketing, advertising, influencer, and sponsorship campaigns. I mean, it's pretty cool. I'm actually familiar with them. I've actually done a little bit of work oh, with right them uh, originally. Uh, and I think, you know, the, as someone that loves event hashtags, and I've, I'm a firm believer that social listening is the most powerful thing on social media, not posting, not a hashtag, not Instagram filters. It's the ability to listen and gather data that we've always dreamed of. This is beautiful, right? The idea that you could take the aggregate of all of those that are tweeting on your hashtag and understand what's the, what's the best you know, soda company that they all follow, or do they follow Red Bull or Monster Energy? Which one do a majority of the people follow? Uh, I think this is gold. I think it's funny. I, I look at events and, you know, the hashtag usage of an event, even within Instagram stories and Twitter uh, combined, I still think is undervalued. I still think if you're willing to listen, if you're willing to engage, and then you're willing to take that data into other places, which is what Affinio is doing there, allowing you to kind of dive a little bit deeper, like not just understanding the gender, but like what's the most common brands that the people that are attending your event are following, maybe get that brand on stage for next year. Think about that. Think about the idea of like, wow, how, how neat is it that you can actually truly, and you know, it's always great to get a survey and we'll, you know, people, the attendee will click the survey, but the truth is you want to know what people are truly engaging. What are the things they're having conversations right. around. And so tools like this, I think are underutilized. I also think if you're an event that truly wants to be innovative, simply telling your audience that you're listening to them and then showing the proof, which Affinio does as well. They have a, you know, some digital displays uh, and things that they do. Um, I know Tagboard is another company that does that really well um, at events. I think it's exciting. I, I, an event I was at just a couple weeks ago was doing all, all their questions from the audience via Twitter and then putting the tweets up on stage. But then what they did on top of that is they then were able to take all of the people that tweeted at me as a speaker and tell me what the commonality was of those that were asking me questions. And as a speaker, I was like, that's gold, right? Like yeah. who in the audience is great, but who in the audience is truly engaged with my content, inspiring them to ask a question? I, I was blown away by that kind of functionality. Yeah, I mean, I think that takes the word cloud to a whole other level. <laughs> um, were they curating it real time? Because I know that that's the thing that event organizers get concerned about is controlling which tweets get shown on a screen. They, like that. they were. They had a they had a team of two people back in the back um, that were that were. And I, you know, and I, 
you know, I was actually interesting. I, one of the um, speakers, uh, who's actually one of my favorite speakers, uh, Tina Starkey with um, Stops uh, Soldier Suicide. Uh, she used to be with American Cancer Society. Um, I asked a question about how she handles difficult topics like suicide and they didn't put the question up. And when I was in the back, I asked them and they're like, well, that was one of our trigger words where we, we didn't really, you know, suicide or mental, we didn't know how to put that up. And I appreciated the fact that they were kind of, you know, filtering them, making sure that they're getting them, uh, you know, up there. It's also a little bit about educating the audience. The, um, you know, the event organizer did a good job of letting the audience know, like, we're going to take questions, but we're also not going to take every single tweet and put it up there on the, on the screen, which makes you feel better as a speaker, but it also kind of, puts the onus on the audience. And I think when you let audience members know that, like, hey, not every tweet's gonna be shown. I think the average you know, majority of people aren't gonna you know, ask the things that you're, that you're scared about. I think the problem in, in the past is just putting every tweet up there or not really setting that bar with the audience itself. Yeah, well, but also, I, and, and this is just me thinking, like there could be people posting who aren't even there. Yep. And, and saying things that they shouldn't say. And that this is true. Stuff, so. Um, but I think that all of that aggregate, all that information, that's gold for trying to get sponsors to sponsor your event, Without right? Question. Like let's, let's get, let's tell a, a big brand and have them throw money at us. Yep. <laughs> well, awesome. and, and on top of that, Hey, Hey brand, we noticed that a majority of the people in our audience is following your number one competitor. Don't you think you should be at this event? I mean, like, uh, I mean, yeah. I, 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 I love zigging when zag, right? Like, most people would go, I'm going to go to that brand and tell them that they're all their fans are in the audience. I'm going to go to their competitor and say, Hey, all, you want, you want a, a, you know, a strategic access to your competitor's audience. This is the event to sponsor. For sure. Okay. Well, I think that that um, covers the news. It's a, uh, it's conference season is always exciting. And I know that you appreciate it as well being a, being a speaker. And um, I hope to have the chance to see you speak at some meeting and event industry um conferences like imx what's what else is on your wish list you know just my you know, list so throw I, it out there yeah I, I, <laughs> I mean i i've done some of the you know like the south buys the the um you know ces i've done a couple of those i think for me you know i love events that are you know thinking a little bit different trying to change the uh dynamic i talk a lot about mobile perspective understanding uh it's no longer i think about reaching the millennial or gen z audience it's about reaching the connected consumer which is all ages it's just a different dynamic on that um and so I, imax would be great there's a couple um there's a couple coming up uh in vegas in the in the springtime that i have on my on my radar i'll, I'll keep it in my back pocket at the moment because i i'm still working a couple things on that side right. but uh you know i i think you know I, I, it's exciting i love the event space i love the technology space i think uh, you know, I think we're going to talk about with Adam um, in a little bit. I think part of this thing with technology that we're excited about is now that the consumers are smarter than they've ever been before and the technology exists, how do we find a, a happy harmony between the two? And it's, um, it's something I love to do, uh, not only for connecting online and offline, but let's connect year round with people that, you know, are part of our tribe. So uh, bring it on anywhere and anywhere. All right. Right on. Okay. All right. Up next, we are going to chat with Adam here. And welcome back to the second half of the Inside Events podcast by Swapcard. Um, we'd like to welcome our guest on today's show, Adam Perry. Hi, Adam. How are you? I'm very well, Megan. Thank you very much for having me. It's uh, 
always a pleasure when someone from uh, the other side of the pond can make time for us in an hour that's reasonable for us. <laughs> <laughs> Adam and I were just talking about how I'm not much of a morning person, so I'm on. I'm I'm struggling big time if I have to um, record too. Yeah, early. this you, not too far off now would be usually my bedtime. So yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll uh we'll get you to bed here soon enough. We're gonna have some fun before we do that. So let me read your bio real quick. Adam Perry is the co-founder and editor of the Event Industries Global Online Magazine, Event Industry News. You might have heard of it. As an avid technology evangelist, Adam coupled his 10 plus years of experience in the event industry with his passion for the latest tech trends to co-create Event Tech Live, Europe's only show dedicated to event technology. On top of this, Adam is also the co-organizer of the Event Technology Awards a world-renowned awards show showcasing the very best in event technology. So for our listeners, Adam, what's the best place for them to find you? Um, probably on Twitter at Punchtown Perry. Awesome. And what's the deal with that name, Punchtown? Um, it goes back to a period in my life where I did mixed martial arts. Um, there is a brand of MMA gear called Punchtown. And somebody just kind of put that together with my surname and it kind of stuck straight away. So, and it was something that in, in the world of social media, not many people have that combination or I've come across. So it's easy to pick up handles and things like that. And it's kind of served me ever since. So I was just uh, telling Adam how I live near the airport in San Diego and it's raining here today. So I'm going to um, mute whenever possible when there's an airplane going over my building. <laughs> but on the MMA thing, um, Bad Boy, their corporate office is right next door. Oh, really? Wow. To my, cool. to my place. Yeah. So, yeah. Not, not, not doing it for a while. I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little bit too old for it now. But um, yeah, something I used to love to do. I would love to get back into it, to be honest with you. Yeah, you got to keep your noodle in place for your, for your baby. Yeah. I've got... <laughs> A pretty face that can't mess it up. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, so um, I, I'm going to start out. You just are uh, actually what one month today, right off of of your um, annual conference. That's right. Yeah. 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 So um, tell us how Event Tech Live went. Um, how the awards have sort of evolved. I, I've got so many questions, and we only have a half hour. <laughs> so, sure. So. Um, <laughs> I guess I'll try and keep it short and, and sweet. Um, the, awards is an the awards is an interesting evolution um, because one of the things that we constantly have to keep up with is the balance of new technologies kind of merging into our sector. You know, we want to recognize the use of those technologies or development of those technologies, while also, you know, people who have previously won awards or done great entries for categories in the past we kind of have to find a way of balancing some of those also coming out of the awards because otherwise you end up having you know crazy amounts of categories and that's just difficult to judge manage produce deliver you know even with 30 categories that kind of takes quite a long time um, to kind of get through as a show um, but one of the kind of new introductions last year for me was um, award around recognition for, for kind of individuals and possibly in the future companies as well that really kind of gave some indication of recognition to those people who'd really fundamentally driven the sector forward in either the adoption of technology or the development of technology for our sector. 
So 2018, we recognize Reggie Agarwal from CVEM for his contribution of building CVEM and proving that, you know, what they can do there. Um, and then this most recent year, we, um, we recognized uh, Julian Kevin Hartz from Eventbrite um, for ultimately building probably the mo world's most recognized ticketing brand um, in the sector. So that's kind of how the awards has, has really evolved over the, the, the last couple of years and, and what we're doing there now. And that's got a steady growth in, you know, attendees and from all works of life, from the States, from Europe, from even further afield as far as kind of like Japan, China and the APAC region. Um, and then Event Tech Live, um, well, that grew by about 35% this year in terms of overall size of event. We wanted to um, fundamentally create a space and a content stage for the two days really focused around event marketing and technology for event marketing. Um, yay. I mean, <laughs> it, you know, it, we, it, it's one of those things that's probably been, you know, threaded through the content and the, the general sessions and, and the theme of the event since its inception. However, we've never gave it, given it its, its dedicated um, place uh, and, and meaning. So we, we did that this year. We, we you know, created a space for companies like Tech Digital and other event marketing companies that are helping organizers to kind of gain more traction, whether that's audiences, you know, revenue, et cetera. Um, but also really streamline that content. So, um, and, and that worked really well. The feedback from that has been, been fantastic this year. Excellent. Did you go to IBTM World? I was supposed to, um, but unfortunately, uh, a family um, uh, thing came up, so I didn't end up going um, this year, uh, which which is a shame because it was one of those again one of those opportunities to meet up with people from from all over the world. Right. Well, in the Tech Watch Awards, I think that they their claim to fame is that they were the first to to do an award within the tech sec, um, sector, and Corbin of course, being the OG tech, yeah. event tech guy, um, helping them with that. So I, I find that I participated in their innovation zone twice. Um, and I think it's evolved over the years to no longer, you know, being necessarily some, something that's a new product. But the winning, um, we're going to talk, we, we talk about this in the news, um, but Wordly, that a translation software is pretty, pretty uh, awesome. And that's the one that won the... Um, that yeah. I had a recent demonstration of that and, and you know, that's, that's one of those aha moments for me in terms of, I always like to look at technology in terms of cost and what that means for event organizers because we tend to run very tight budgets on, on any event, even what you might see as a big brand that has, you know, deep pockets, not that doesn't necessarily have huge amounts of budget, especially when it comes to technology. But that really offered a, a great way to, to kind of cut some costs and save some stuff and it, it worked straight out of the box. It was a great product. Fabulous. So yeah, so I mean, the I see you know, Event Industry News has a podcast, and there's been a emergence of podcasts uh, in the meeting and events industry, which I of course love as a longtime podcaster myself. Uh, what's your take on why they're doing that? What is it bringing to their business? What's what's the impact of going audio for an offline event? Oh, what's the impact of going audio for an offline event? Um, that's an interesting one. I think I think the advent of well, podcasts have kind of made the resurgence right they've, they've kind of been around for such a long time um and you know it was blogging and then social and i think 
we tend to come full circle on, on things sometimes. And I think podcasting now, especially when it comes to the technology that we have here, becomes more accessible, which means that then, you know, it becomes a better or easier option in terms of, of communicating. I also think that, that society has gone through finding its own voice a little bit. Um, in, in, you know, no longer do this kind of content stay with the, the big producers, the big news broadcasters and, and the big people. We can now pick this up and have interesting conversations. So I think, I think you know, a combination of those things has made more podcasting more and more accessible. And then I think in terms of, you know, the way that we consume media, actually attention spans are, are kind of shortening. You know, we see, I see video clips getting shorter, um, especially on social media. Even with event, news, event industry news, you know, we, we can track the attention span of our readership. However, podcasts offer a format that you can go a little bit deeper and also drop and pick up where you left off on things like runs and commuting and, you know, washing the parts, helping the kids out at soccer or whatever it is. So I think it just offers that real engaging medium that's easy to pick up and put down um, episodically. And I think you can go really niche with it and, and really hit a, a, a key kind of audience with what you're trying to talk about. You know, I was a I've listened from everything to photography podcasts to lots of event industry podcasts, all the way out to things like Joe Rogan and, and the Power um, RE uh, podcast, you know, because that kind of hits some of the MMA stuff and com comedy and all that kind of thing. So I think it's a whole host of combination of, of things that's made it um, kind of rebubble up to the surface. And have you heard of, a, do you know Mike McCallum? Yes, I do. Okay. I know, Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he started uh, the California Podcast Association, and his now jam is helping associations start their own podcast and helping them provide an opportunity to to do them live at their annual conferences and all that, which I think is is brilliant. I mean, that's a just a great lane. Yeah, um, I think he's hitting some really key points with his messaging. You know, he's talking about creating a stage around the podcast. You've already got speakers, you've already got interesting people in the room, make it a spectacle for the audience to come and see a live podcast. That's probably something they've also never done before, really, in terms of that format. Um, you've already got the people on the ground, so why not capture that? And you know, our industry consistently talks about engaging with a community 365 days a year. Events tend to happen in the moment, maybe one, two, three, four days if you're lucky, if you've got a big enough event. Um, but how do we talk to that audience through the rest of the year? And I think podcasting and capturing some of that at the event is a great way, but also using this format to engage with key speakers, even key sponsors and, and other people in the community can offer a great way to keep the, the, the event alive through the rest of the year and at the forefront of people's minds. Especially for like travel heavy, I think users, I think, you know, I call podcasting the most intimate medium there is. It's, we're in someone's ear. It allows us to paint our own picture rather than a video, uh, you know, and especially an event. An event is painting the picture for you, but allowing them to kind of, you know, even listening to podcast on the way traveling to the event. When they're leaving the event, you know, picking up an interview from a, a speaker. You know, I started about four years ago doing live mm -hmm. podcasts from events. And the funny part was most people didn't even know what it was. They were just like, 
that's a value add. Uh, and now it's fun because you don't have to convince someone what a podcast is. Now yeah. it's okay. How does it integrate in there? So I think it's, it's exciting. I think associations, I think events, uh, not only can use it to tap into that short attention span, but it is something kind of fun to kind of allow us to have a different point of view of those that we've seen on stage or those that we've met off offline. So it's, it's exciting to see that kind of taking over. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I think to, to add to that, we've seen, you know, events try and really harness and pull influences into the event to kind of highlight the moment of the event and amplify that or maybe even leading up to it to, to kind of gain traction with a particular audience that they're engaged with. But, you know, as, a, as, a, as somebody who schedules speakers, if somebody has a podcast and they're willing to do an episode or two, which happened at Event Tech Live this year, then that, that's super, that is super added value to me to, to have them from their perspective and with their voice kind of cover or, or correlate what they're doing to, to my event, then, then that's, worth a, that's worth a huge amount of value to, to, to me as an organizer. Maybe we can have a live Inside Events podcast broadcast next year. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I genuinely see a lot of organizers um, as a trend putting a lot of money or, or emphasis on, okay, you're a speaker, but you know, have you got a podcast? Have you got a community that listens into you? And, you know, um, we've, we've just seen things like um, CES make a lot of changes around their access to media. And, and so that is, you know, do you have an audience on podcasts and things like that? So people are now read, writing it into their, their kind of media access um, terms and conditions um, as, as that could get you into the event to cover it and things. So, um, yeah, I think um, podcasting is um, a very underutilized tool, a very uh, a, a big area to tap into for, for publishers and, and organizers. Yours is weekly, right? It is um, because of the way that we publish in Event Industry News and, and I suppose because of how our podcast is more maybe news focused or opinion focused. Um, that's the route that we've taken. Um, we used to physically do it in person and, and that was um, that was a huge nightmare. Um, and hopefully <laughs> we'll get back to there one, one day. So we've kind of gone down the, this format of, of doing it online. But that's also had huge benefits of allowing us to get with people internationally that, you know, just wouldn't be able to sit down with us here in London or something like that and, and do those in-person in podcasts. Yeah, so I learned the hard way how hard it is. Of course, Brian has great gear and he's able to do it live in person um, in, a, in a way that I was unable. So the last time we were supposed to have you on, I ended up, I was, it was IMAX America that week. So I decided to do it live from IMAX America. Brilliant, right? But I had no gear with me. And the fact that we also need the video, like we could have sat in a corner and gotten decent audio um, if it was audio only, but because I need video with it, um, yeah, so that was, a, and then I went to a conference and two days later I did it again. And, and for a live audience, that one was done live on Facebook. And that one worked out better in a way because it was live on Facebook and people kind of expect, they don't expect brilliance. But then when you have to go and take that audio and put it in a podcast, whoo doggy, that was some stressful couple of weeks. Yeah, sure. I can appreciate I that. Live podcasting is a whole nother animal. That's for Ooh. sure. And even having a live audience so they can hear you, right? I, I think a lot of, I've done it all versions and uh, they set us up on a stage at Inbound last year and I had some amazing guests, but they didn't have speakers externally. So everybody sat around, but they could barely hear 
myself talking oh. to the guests, but it was amazing audio for my podcast. Uh, and then the other version, I was at Content Marketing World this year and, and was a guest on their show. And the audio externally was great, but they were recording it kind of the, the, out, the output of the speakers rather than the direct input of the microphone. And so then the audio at the end was bad. The video, video oh, was man. great. So it's, it's definitely an added uh, chunk. I, I've, been, I've been messing around. I have a, a travel gear now with a headset. And as long as I can get someone over the fact that they put something on top of their head, uh, the headset has been like the, it, it allows me to, to do external as well as internal and you can hear each other. But it, it, is a, it is a new animal trying to take something that's been hidden on Skype or Zoom for many years and taking it offline. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's a, um, I, I'd hate to say we started the trend here in the UK, but we, you know, with, with Event Tech Lab having huge amounts of access to technology through suppliers, we turn to giving all our attendees headsets about three or four years ago, oh. straight out of the bat, because we, we have our content right mid-center of the event, so it's very live and buzzy, and there's not much that we can do in terms of ambient noise. So we use headsets with our audience straight away. And now here in the UK, I see lots and lots of events kind of go down that route of format because it allows the attendee to focus in a little bit more and get a really, and then they have to put kind of less PA in and delays and things like that to kind of manage that. So it's less infrastructure actually at the event, but a better experience for the, for the audience as well. Yeah, it's kind of a silent disco-esque. Sure. Uh, deal and yeah IMAX America has been doing that uh, with varied success I think over the last few years but kind of because it's also on the floor in those pods and um, we'll credit you with it's a, it's a with different it. dynamic as a speaker though I can tell you as a speaker I was like wait a second they have headphones on and it, it, I, <laughs> I had a couple of those this year and I uh, it took a little bit because I, I think even not being a delay, but understanding that someone is actually more attentive where, you know, I, I hate to say it, but like sometimes you're like 20% of people laugh at my joke. Probably 40% of people are paying attention, right? Like not everyone is, you know, people are on their laptops. And I noticed that that attention span went up, which is, I mean, as an event organizer, you can't beat that. But as a speaker, it almost, it, 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 I adjusted some of my jokes. I adjusted my, my hold time. It was, it was an interesting uh, variable thrown my way for the first time this year. Do you think it made you better for it though? Uh, I believe knowing that I had it ahead of time, yes. Um, yeah. the, the first time I had no idea that they were doing it. And it, for me, it made it, it made it feel as though like, did you guys hear that? Or, you know, it wasn't, yeah. but it, knowing ahead of time, I do think it made it made me better. I also think, no, you know, I think captured attention is the, the gold in the universe, right? I think as a speaker, that's why I love what I do. I get people's attention, even if it's 40% of an audience, that's more than I get on social media or YouTube or a podcast. Yeah, sure. But I think when you're, when you know that they're, you know, have headphones on, they're not talking to their neighbor, um, their laughs are genuinely louder because they can't hear themselves. Like little <laughs> So psychology dynamics of it. Um, I did like it. I can tell you as a, as a speaker, it's something that I would say, heck, heck yeah, every time. But the first time not expecting it was, was definitely something that threw me for a little bit of a loop. I, I got caught out this last year because I was on stage doing a presentation and I forgot that I needed headphones to be able to hear everybody else as well. And I'm, I'm up there and I can't even hear myself because I'm used to hearing myself back on, on speakers and, and, and that kind of stuff. Like, what's going off here? So I, you know, kind of ushered to one of the guys, brought me a pair of headphones, and yeah. So you can get caught out both ways, I think, as well, forgetting that you, you it's there. 
Yeah, I think it depends on the size of the space too, right? Because I, I had this at IMAX two years ago and um, it was a small enough intimate environment that I could hear them without having the, the headphones. Um, and I would have felt weird in my cute dress, you know, up there with like a head pack on and lavalier. I've done talking on a lavalier mic. Um, so, all right, cool. So I think there's like an elephant in the event tech room. There's been a lot of chatter recently about the slowdown in, mm, in event yeah. technology. And, and uh, uh, Julius Solaris put this out to social the other day and it got quite a bit of, of interaction. And um, I don't think anyone disagreed with him. So I'm no. curious what you think. Well, and there's also been a lot of consolidation, right? So there are fewer companies providing um, the tools. So what do you think needs to change? And, and is there anything that you think you, that we're missing that we don't have right now that someone needs to step forward with? Ooh, interesting. Okay, so um, elephant in the room first. Yeah, I, I would agree with Julius that there has somewhat been a slowdown in innovation around uh, uh, around technology. We also went through a huge exploratory kind of period of kind of like waking up to event tech in, in our sector. Um, and then go through the adoption phase and, and all that kind of stuff. And innovation tends to go in waves. If you actually look into innovation, you know, it, it tends to go in undulations of, of, of peaks and troughs. Um, and that's in anything. That goes through the devices that we have in our, in our hands. What also tends to happen with technology as it gets to a peak, it then goes through refinement and iteration to, to make those small elements work better and, and I think the iPhone is a p perfect example of that you know when it came out that was pure innovation in the industry and then it's gone through a slow kind of succession of improvements now to the latest one is pretty much just around its camera technology but that's what people want and I think our sector is going through the same kind of growing pains of adopting technology from lots of different new players uh, but also from outside the sector and trying to apply that to, to us and then through the feedback that's coming through from organizers those technologies are being refined to provide better service and supply into the sector and then i think further innovation and iteration will come through probably more likely outside um, uh, influences so that's new technology being created in the broader event, uh, in the broader technology space, and then us being able to use that as an industry. That could be things like Wi-Fi 6, 5G, you know, AR kind of really needs to get down to consumer level before it can really play out a role in events, in my opinion. You know, we, we, we have a little bit of AR technology on our phones and I'm seeing it in the kind of the concert touring side of things of people playing around with it there. But really for, let's say the conference or the exhibition market or even brand events, you know, we, us as consumers, us as attendees are gonna to need to bring that technology with us before the organizer can really empower the user to, to kind of integrate and, and interface with that technology. So I think, I think there's a, I think it's a good thing at the moment that we as an industry are going through in, an improvement phase as, as far as I can see it. But what's really interesting, um, and, and I think maybe I wasn't so aware of this before because 
UK and US players are somewhat very, very similar. Either they are they work in and operate in both markets or um, a company that starts up in the UK kind of goes to the US and vice versa quite quickly because language barriers, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I went to a, an event recently in, in Paris um, for the first time just to kind of see if there was any new innovation over there or anything different with, with tech. And what I actually came across was what I would class as copycat tech. Um, so, you know, some of the probably more recognizable brands like Slido, et cetera, that we've kind of become used to as the audience engagement technology to go to, other, other audience engagement technologies are, are available. Um, but I came across version, pretty much identical versions of that, but very regional. Um, and very set up for the French market. So, um, you know, identical in functionality, obviously uh, coded and built in a, you know, in, in, in French, um, but I didn't realize that was happening. And I saw a couple of those examples of, of kind of regional tech, but what we assume is kind of ubiquitous around the world. Yeah, I think that's an I think it's an interesting piece just from like my point of view from a technology. I think we could all use a pause button in technology. I think we were we were in a fast paced version of technology for technology's sake. Let's just keep throwing stuff out there and see what happens. I think now we're we're finally going back and saying, well, why are we using the technology? How are the consumers going to like it? And is is it add more steps? Does it add more benefit or is it add more complexity? Right. I think that's that's probably something that I think uh, you know is exciting across the board. And I think that's, that comes down to the people, right? I think, you know, when it comes to how people make up events, how people drive decisions, even where technology, to your point, is the consumer coming with the technology themselves. You know, I'm actually, I have a 360, the new 360 GoPro, and I went on stage uh, two weeks ago and brought it up there with me. And I put it down on stage and afterwards, the event organizer, what was the idea there? And I was like, I have no idea from a stage point of view, if it's valuable if it's any good uh but i wanted to try it right and yeah. they were laughing because they were like well we looked at you as the innovator and 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 i was like well i also want to know if people want to look or view video from a 360 perspective right as a as, as an innovator as someone that loves that space i think it's oh it's so cool but you know i think there is a need for a balance how do you how do you address that especially in the event tech space where if there isn't innovation if there isn't technology it almost feels as though are we going backwards uh, while at the same time knowing that people have to drive a lot of our decisions. Oh, I, um, interesting in the sense, I, I think if there's, I don't necessarily see there ever being a gap. I just think that we either have not come across that individual or company that's kind of carving out that piece right there, or it, it, it's coming. We just, me as um an, an early adopter and, and like yourself, Brian, kind of want to test out the latest and greatest and, and kind of like, well, I, again, I don't exactly know what I'm doing right now, but we'll, we'll find a way kind of thing. Um, we tend to be the most impatient of everybody. And as soon as we kind of not found the next thing to jump on, well, all of a sudden, like you say, we're going backwards. We're going into the dark ages. I might as well put my phone away, throw my Mac and, and, and kind of start lighting fires with sticks and stones again. But I, th I think that's, that's actually the problem that we as individuals sometimes are impatient with the pace at which technology moves. I know for a fact, my audience on Event Tech Live 
a good 50 or 60% of them are kind of just having their first taste of technology and are still feeling extremely overwhelmed with what's on the, on the table for them even to try and adopt or to test. Um, so as an industry, I think there's still a huge amount of, of, of growth potential and adoption potential to get to the point where, okay, so let's use facial recognition even, for example, some organizations are still trying to figure out how just to do registration really, really, really well. Right. Um, you know, uh, even just going back to Julius, he says, let's fix the queue before we innovate on the registration and the queue. Um, so, yeah, I, th I think that's my thoughts on it is we're probably at the, at the precipice of kind of innovation and we want to see the greatest and latest and next. And I think actually the events industry is still got a way to, to kind of catch up a little bit. Yeah, I think that's, that comes into a fact too. I think as technology evangelists, right? Are we, are we taking technology and trying to solve a problem or are we finding a problem and then going and finding technology to solve the problem, right? I always mm -hmm. say, uh, you know, no technology will feeble, fix a people problem, but we'll throw a hundred different pieces of technology at a people problem before we realize that it's a people problem. And then we solve it and we're like, oh, that was that easy. And so I, I think, I think it's something that we realize now it's happening in every industry, even if you look at like e-commerce to brick and mortar shopping, right? Even, you know, breweries, I, I, there's a brewery here that is using some new innovative technology with the beers that you're drinking. And, and I think it's really cool. And, and the funny thing was, I asked one of the innovators at that thing was like, what problem are you solving? And he's like, no one ever really thought of it as a problem we're solving. And I was like, yeah, that, that's why that technology isn't being adopted at the moment because it's not solving the problem. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I, I think some people do it also to grab the headline, to maybe provide a slightly different experience to people that they've not done before. And, and that can, you know, we, we tend to steer away from doing tech for tech's sake, but actually in the right environment to the right audience, like from my audience who are coming to see tech, then we, we do have a little bit of that liability to be able to do that because it's just showcasing a new experience and a new potential way of, of doing things. So Julius, I don't know if you saw his tweet about Expo Expo uh, used facial recognition for registration. And to, mm -hmm. just to go back to your uh, comment about the queue, like that solves it for him. He said, I would never want to register when I arrive at an event in any other way. I mean, in the States, you've got a, more, um, a lot more liquidity to be able to do that at the moment. Um, the privacy laws that are coming in the States might slow that down. I'm not going to say the stop going to stop it. Um, we, we've kind of had to bite the bullet a little bit earlier on that side of things with GDPR compliance, et cetera. Um, but I, I am, I'm with him in the same sense that if, if I could use facial recognition, because it makes my life easier, right? I don't have to dig into my emails and find that registration badge, or even worse, get you know, pushed by the organizer to print it out at home, which isn't sustainable as well. Why, why do I need to bring a piece of paper to an event like 300 or 3,000 miles away from me? Um, you know, and technology around us uses our face to give us access to the things that we want, our phones, our banking, you know, why not an event? Why not just you know turn up? I think what organisers need to grasp is that how that technology is or that data is managed, 
Um, and again, you know, as people see the use case of it, it'll just be one of those things that becomes the norm, I think, personally. Yeah, I think that that company, it's, uh, I'm going to field something, probably. Field drive? Field drive. I think they won the Innovation Award at, uh, at the on the Tech Watch last year. Or I feel like they yeah. won something. Did they win something at, do you remember, at Event Tech Awards last year? Uh, good question. They've definitely won awards at, at our um, event before. I think um, also, you know, the companies that we work with on the facial recognition technology. Um, I think I think that those type of technologies are going to become really ubiquitous within our sector because they are going to offer value to to organisers. We did a we did a beta test here in the UK, which was a total opt-in scenario. We promoted it to the fact to the uh, attendees that if you want to be part of our 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 test, our beta test of this of this new solution, then you can totally opt into that. Um, and that was fundamentally tracking people you know, inch by inch around the, around the show to see how long they engage with people and dwell times and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, what we can do with that out of the back end of the show is, is, is quite a lot from operations to sales to marketing to increasing revenue and all that kind of stuff. But for the attendee, the ultimate benefits will be to guide them to the individuals and the content and the exhibitors that have real value to them because actually, unless you've probably bought a conference ticket for an event that you, and you like, I'm going to be there for three days, you, most people are time poor when it comes to events. They're, they're either there to do a certain amount of things or meet a certain amount of people. They're in, they're out. So to make efficiencies in their time and get them in front of the content and things like that that they want or need, I think super important and a, a, an area that organizers should really focus on. It's funny you should mention that because I believe Swapcard has a matchmaking, AI matchmaking capability in their app, which helps you meet the right people. So that is a, that takes it, a, and you know, it's a different step versus the exhibitor. But I, I mean, I think, again, people have to use it, right? You have to yeah. put your information in there in order for them to be able to do the matchmaking. But I find great value in that, in, in something like that, that helps me as an attendee to get to the people that I, I want to get to and if you get the get the solutions that I'm looking for while I'm at a show. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So we're at time, but I do have one final question for both of you. And this being, uh, I, we have a couple of gearheads. Um, this is a perfect question. So what is the hot new tech app program gadget that you're excited about these days? Oh, uh, can I, am I, am I, you go first, am I going first? <laughs> How's it going? Yeah. I, like I feel like I should go first. Oh no. I'm gonna be re- <laughs> it's the a hot new tech. It doesn't have to tech. be new actually. What, what it like, what's the thing you're using the most, the thing that's providing the most value, what technology is providing uh, the most value in your life? right? Um, on, honestly, my new Apple AirPod pros, um, I wasn't a fan of the previous AirPods. I bought them. I used them. Um, I'm an audiophile, so I like good quality sound. I also travel a lot, so I want noise cancellation. Um, so I found that with my old AirPods, whatever I was doing, I was always carrying a second or third pair of headphones with me for whatever scenario. And um, I kind of saw them and uh, I'll try them out, went into the Apple store and, and was just like, right, here's my card straight away. The noise cancellation is, they are not the premium high-end headphones for kind of that really long enjoyable listening that you might do with audio but 
for day-to-day calls, for noise cancel. I use them even weirdly on the tube for, to cancel out the noise of just the ambient noise around me of the tube and things like that. So for me, um, they're becoming really, really, really useful. And actually in loud environments, the pass-through has been able to allow me to actually use them to focus on what people are saying. Um, so for me, you know, 250 quid, $300, whatever that, or $250, whatever that is, I think they're, they've been in my ears huge amounts of time over the, since I bought them. So personally for that, that's a really cool piece of tech that I'm using. Well, I will say they do look like they're smaller too. Like I could hardly even tell you had them in your ears. Whereas like, if you like with the other ones, they, they, people look like aliens, like that something was growing out of their head. Yeah. Right, what about you? No, I, I love my AirPod Pros. I literally say, you know, forget American Express. Don't leave home without my AirPod Pros. <laughs> and I get up, I grab my phone and my Pros and I put them into my pocket. It's, uh, I was a fan of the other ones as well. I think it, it's amazing that noise, little noise canceling, a little bit of, you know, as an airplane, you know, I did 400,000 miles this year. And uh, the difference between the old Air, AirPods and these is uh, that person talking one row behind me on the airplane no longer bothers me, which is, is pretty amazing. Um, I'm getting back into GoPro, which I was never a GoPro fan. Uh, I had the GoPro Hero like three, Hero four. I, you know, I was like, oh, it's cool if I was snowboarding, but that happens like three times a year if I'm lucky. Um, and the GoPro Hero seven came out with some like new stabilization software, um, much more easy to like kind of just capture B-roll type uh, video. Uh, I now have the Hero eight and the the 360 Max, which is what I I showed before. And it's interesting for me when we're looking at video, where can we have that happy medium? Like I don't need 4K, I need quality audio, quality video, it needs to be on me and it needs to be something that I can capture. And so the the new GoPro Hero 8, uh, I know they're gonna come out in the next, I think probably two weeks with an adaption for you to be able to to, um, hook a secondary uh, viewfinder on it. So you could actually hold the, the Hero 8 out and look at the camera for like walk and talk, which I think is great for events. But I, I've been amazed. I, if you would have asked me six months ago if I was going to be a fan of uh, GoPro gear, I don't think I would have. But uh, I found it, you know, even my daughters, chasing my daughters around the house um, and little things where I can, uh, the battery life is much better now. The editing is much better. Uh, so yeah, I would say the, the GoPro series. Um, and I'm even, funny enough, I'm even using the Snapchat Spectacles uh, the new version of the Snapchat Spectacles, the Hero, the Twos, uh, I'm using it to provide a unique perspective when I'm using my hands. Um, and I think the the Spectacles came out and it was kind of like, you know, the geeky, flashy thing with Snapchat. And then it kind of disappeared a little bit from, uh, you know, uh, different invet- events. But I've been using it um, on stage and telling people how you can change perspective. And uh, funny enough, the link I gave out um, at an event two weeks ago, 64 people bought the spectacles um, just from the link that I shared on stage. And the event had maybe 300 people in the audience. I'm not even sure if it had 300. Uh, so that click-through rate is pretty impressive. I think, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about before. Technology for, tech, you know, spectacles, put glasses on, double-click them, record 20 seconds of video. Uh, that was cool, but it wasn't really feasible. I think now we're looking at it and saying, what unique things can we do with these tech? So I'm, I'm a fan of that right now. Love it. Two great takes. All right. We uh, really can't thank you enough, Adam, for being a guest. Um, I'm glad that the, the timing worked out. We're going to let you go to bed now <laughs> since we're, it's now officially past your bedtime <laughs> in, in the UK. Um, thank you so much. Um, this has been episode six 
of the Inside Events podcast by Swapcard, and we will catch you next time. Tweet at us with the hashtag InsideEvents, and be sure to subscribe to get each episode as they drop.